Hi, everybody. I'm Mike Westendorf, and welcome to this week's Great Questions, Great Conversations. And on our podcast today is a good friend of mine, uh, Brandon Steenbach. We have been doing ministry back and forth a little bit together, kind of when our, our paths cross. Um, and yeah. I've, I've always loved your heart, Brandon. Um, you've, mm. You're a much better reader than me. You've gone and gotten additional degrees. Um, I just went to a different career, so uh, I just changed career paths, <laughs> but I didn't go back to school for stuff. Um, yeah. But Brandon, I've always appreciated your heart. And so for our listeners, uh, can you just take a quick moment to introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you, what you do? Yeah, for sure. So once again, my name is Brandon Steenbach. I'm the staff minister of, of family ministries at St. Mark Lutheran in De Pere and Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's where I serve right now. Um, I've been here just over six years, about six and a half years. Uh, before that, I was serving for 11 years in Newell, Minnesota, just in, in the shadow of Martin Luther College, which is where I went to school. Mm-hmm. I was assigned to a church there to do youth and family ministry. So I've been doing a lot of this kind of family ministry stuff for pretty much my entire ministry. Um, I'm I'm married. I have a wife. Her name is Nikki. And uh, we have two boys. Athen is 17, a senior in high school, and Paladin is... 15, a sophomore in high school. So we're definitely heading into those years where we're kind of transitioning out of, you know, sort of the active parenting and into the, all right, how do we guide these kids into adulthood um, when they're kind of racing us on that in a way they're, yeah. they're going to get there before we're ready for it. So yep. I'm just trying to figure out how do we, how do we help them to make good choices as they get into that phase of life? Yeah. So as as Mike said, um, too, I, I've gotten a couple of degrees. Um, uh, I got my first degree in family education back in 2013 from Concordia, St. Paul. And then in, was it 2019, I think, 2019 or 2020, I got a master's of theological studies from Martin Luther College. And uh, in just a few weeks here, probably, maybe six to eight weeks, I'll be defending my doctoral thesis from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. There we go. Yeah, so I for all of our listeners, I, I I love bringing in people who have who've got this this context. Uh, many of you know Pastor Pete uh, Panitsky too, who's been a, a lead on this podcast and uh, our pastor here at St. Paul's in in Muskego. But uh, he's got a wealth of context and experience and stuff. And Brandon's another one of these guys. And Brandon, we I had emailed you. We had t- I I'm embarrassed to say that we were going to have a conversation about this about a year ago or more. Uh, just about yeah. fathers. And and this is part of what we want to talk a little bit about. Um, we here in our church uh, context talk about the idea of the family church being really the foundation of the big C church. Um, sure. You know, the, 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 if, the idea is what happens in the big C church, how do we get it into the family church and what's happening in the family? How does that get into uh, the big mm. C church? How do we talk about those things? How do we help um, point people to Jesus through those pieces. Um, but one of the the things that I have seen is that this whole idea of family as a church, where we worship together, ooh, that sounds like really, really big, and where mm-hmm. mom and dad are the pastors, or if you're a single parent, you, you are the pastor of your family church, and that as yeah. a family, you actually have a mission field. It's your neighborhood. Um, you know, you, you don't, you have all of these experiences that are sitting right here in the nucleus of your little family church. And the, the way that I like to think about it is this, if the big C church, the congregation, the local community church 
is like a hospital for the sin sick in our communities because we've got we've got theologians we've got people like you who've been trained up we've got pastors with you know the all of the the languages and experience things of that nature if if that's where the hospital is then could my family church be the clinic in my neighborhood because mm. most people aren't suffering from a life threatening illness they almost always go to the church in fact many of us who work in churches see people who are desperate. You know, I need financial help. I need prayer help. My my relationship's going to end. And we see people who are in an emergency crisis. But most people, they've got a cold. They've got an earache. They've got a sore throat. And so they go to the clinic. And so the idea is when it comes to Christianity and how do we share our faith or how do we be a light in the world, it's not through the local congregation as much as we think it is. It's actually in, in our local neighborhood. But in order for that to be effective... The church at home has to be a church at home. Mm. And so mm. the que- the pushback that I get, and I felt this for a long time. This is why I was reluctant to really lead family devotions among other really bad excuses was that I just didn't feel like I was qualified. We have pastors to do that. Um, you know, pastor up front at the Big C Church, you're the pastor of my family. And that is completely wrong. They are mm. certainly my pastor, uh, and I have that relationship, but within my family, my kids are going to spend way more time with me than an hour with a guy on Sunday who's going to be talking more to me than he is to my kids. So I really am the pastor of my family church. And yet, Brandon, a lot of, especially for men, and I want to talk about dads today, for a lot of men, this is a very intimidating prospect. And I'm, I'm wondering if what I just laid out for you is resonates at all in your own experiences. Yeah, for sure. Um, I really love your analogy of kind of the hospital versus the clinic. And I think in in a lot of ways, um, part of the issue is that we've for so long had it really the other way around from what you're talking, right? Which is that it's not that families are the church and the the big church that I go to is an expression of my family's act of worship and our devotion to Jesus. Instead, it's church is the place where I, my faith exists. My mm. faith doesn't exist at home. It exists at church. I go to church to have my faith grown and have it expressed. And then I go home and that's a different place. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it becomes this thing where it's the church has to reach my home. They have to reach into my home and grab a hold of me. If I'm going to go, if I'm going to grow in my faith, the church has to convince me to show up for an extra hour of Bible study. If my teen is going to be discipled, they have to con- they have to reach into my home, convince my teen that the activity they're holding is going to be fun for them, and then they mm. should go to it. Yeah. If I-, I want my child to be discipled, I they have to provide a Sunday school structure that reaches into my home, pulls my kid out, and creates this Sunday school that the kids want to come to. But what you're talking about is a complete reversal of that whole mentality, which is that first and foremost, mom and dad are the ones who are discipling their kids. And they're the ones who are making sure that all of their children are knowing Jesus. And if you don't have kids at home, you're making sure that anybody else in your household, whoever that is, right. knows Jesus. And if you're a family of one, a household of one, you're you're saying, how do I make sure that I have some accountability in my life so that what happens in my home is an expression of my faith, even though there's nobody around to see it other than Jesus himself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all of those things, but it's saying Jesus has, has to be in the center of my home. And then what I do at church is an expression of that. The fact is that if you actually look at scripture, 
you're never going to find in scripture anything that says like, hey, it's the church's job to reach into the home, pull people out of it and disciple them. What you will find is a lot in scripture about the the importance of number one, having your home be directed by God's word. And and it's interesting because a lot of the times where it talks about that, where it talks about households, talks about homes, it, the Holy Spirit was really res, reticent to give us any details. Like I think about like the story of the jailer at Philippi and it says that he and his whole household were baptized. Well, who was in his household? Right. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us how many people. Um, when, when Lydia and her whole the household were baptized by Paul, well, who was in her household? It doesn't tell us. Right. Why not? So that you can't say, well, I don't have this person in my household. I don't have that kind of person in my household, or I don't, my household doesn't look like this. So instead it's just, do I have a household? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody does presumably, unless you're, unless you're not in a home and then the, then the church exists as the hands and feet of Jesus to help you find that home, to help you be the person, you know, to, to reach out to the person who isn't, who doesn't have a household and say, what can we do to care for you? But that's once again, an expression of worship. So yeah, those are just some initial thoughts to your your picture. But, you know, I I have an image in my mind that probably is not quite as re- resonant as the hospital and clinic, only because it's probably not part of our experience. But I think if mm-hmm. I can paint a picture, it might sure. help. Yeah, please. Um, you know, in, in the society in which scripture was written, there were these people called shepherds, right? There mm-hmm. were, and we we only think of them in our nativity scenes as these guys who sleep out in a field with a bunch of sheep around them, right? But actually, um, shepherds were pretty savvy businessmen who had hundreds and hundreds of sheep to care for usually. And any one guy who owned all of the flock, if he owned 450 sheep, do you think that he could possibly make sure that every single one of those sheep was taken care of at all times without any help? No. Uh, Like he could barely see all of them, right? Right. And yet um, there were structures in place to take care of all of those sheep. So he would hire under shepherds. He would have hired help and those people would be you know, they would be there to take care of smaller groups of flocks. Um, I, I think of the way that Jesus has organized things kind of similar to that. Um, because even in that structure, you even had sometimes underneath those hired hands, then the hired hands would have their own hired hands to, yeah, to break yeah, it up yeah. even further. If you've got a guy who owns enough sheep, you know, a few thousand, he doesn't only have a handful of guys. He has a, a whole, whole business organization yeah, at that point. It's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so... You know, when you think about Jesus as the good shepherd, how does who does he provide to care for his sheep? Well, yeah, he provides pastors at churches who care for hundreds at a time. But within that structure, he's got the people who are also caring for smaller, smaller organizations of Christians. And and the smallest unit of that is the the household. Mm-hmm. And in that household, who is the shepherd? Well, that's the parent, right? It's mm-hmm. mom or it's dad or it's whoever's there. It's, uh, scripture does point most directly to dads. Obviously, we know not every family is going to have that arrangement right. um, as much as possible. If dad is there, yeah, dad, it's on your shoulders. That's kind of my big thing to families is like, if you are a dad and you're in your household, <laughs> you ought to be the one who's shepherding. That's that's the way that scripture presents it. And just don't, don't use the excuse that, well, there are some households that don't have dads, therefore I don't have to. No, um, you have to. And, and maybe, you know, you can support that household that doesn't have a dad too. So let's, let's jump in there. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. If, if you're a dad and you have a household, Jesus is talking to you. And that was kind of the right. come to Jesus moment for me. I, I was sitting in a conference in 2011 
So that makes my oldest, you know, all of about 10 years old. And so I'm feeling this, like I've, I've done youth groups and I've, I've coached basketball. I mean, God's word is, but I never really did an intentional devotion or Bible study, you know, prayers around the meals. Cause I mean, that's what I grew up with and then special prayers on special occasions, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I was at this conference and the, the pastor said, and he just, he was talking, talking, talking. And then all of a sudden he stopped and he looked up and he said, dads, pastor your families. And I, I mean, this was a, this is a youth conference. So I, mm-hmm. it just like hits square between the eyes and in the heart. But then I also, as part of this conference, they had a library there. And so I was able to walk out with a resource called the one minute Bible and that began mm. the aha of no, you know, I started reading the Bible quite differently. You know, you get to the famous Ephesians, you know, chapter uh, talking about fathers don't do this and do do this. Yeah. But then you get to the Timothy letters, which for those of you who are listening, I mean, those are oftentimes referred to as the pastoral letters. Mm-hmm. As Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor. And it's fascinating to see some of the things that he's writing to Timothy apply to fathers or to those of us who are in pastoral roles within our family unit in, in terms of our household. Mm-hmm. And so, but man, Brandon, it like it took a while for that to really sink in. And what is it about that that makes it so intimidating, especially for us as guys? You've been in family I mean, I ministry longer than I have. So I, I, I'm curious, particularly as men, why is it? Why is this a challenge for us to lean into it? I, I think there are levels of, of resistance. Um, I think there are, I, I should say there's, there's multiple different forces aligned against men when it comes to this. And each one of those, it's almost like, like if you could picture, you know, you're on one side, right? Okay, Mike, you're the dad who who's been inspired to be the shepherd of your family and 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 your family being shepherded is across is across from you but between you and that mm. are maybe three different walls that have been built against you and one of those walls is culture I mean, look at the, the way that men have been spoken to in our culture for the last several decades. I mean, I, I think about uh, when I was growing up, all of the sitcoms that were on television, yeah. all of the commercials, everything was dad is the buffoon. Mom is the one who's really holding the household together. Dad is there for comic relief. Mom is the competent captain of the ship. Um, at best, dad is a loving and lovable buffoon. At worst, he's actually just a guy who comes and drinks and and yeah, you know wrong. takes up space and is in the way. And the mom has to give him orders just like she has to give orders to the kids. But then there's a shift. If you go back maybe 10, 15 years, there's a big shift. And it stops being about men being the buffoon, the lovable buffoon. And suddenly men are toxic masculinity is toxic. The men who are the heroes tend to be the guys who are either themselves kind of just, you know, they're, they're, I don't don't want to say soft. That's not the right word because they can be emotional. You know, a man can be emotional and still be strong. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's that they're the guys who themselves don't really rise up to the responsibility. They're the best friend guy, you know, um, or they're, they're the gay guy or they're whatever, you know, whoever the, the really great guy is tends to be the guy who's not taking charge 
but is instead supporting the woman in taking charge. And the guys who want to actually be strong men who stand up and live up to their responsibilities tend to also then be painted as, as toxic in some way. Yeah. And that shift between those two things, it's left men feeling like, man, to to stand up and actually say, I'm going to lead my household boldly feels almost like a betrayal of everything a culture has been saying about men for the last 40 years. Mm. Um, so that's one wall. Uh, and that's and just one wall. wall. Okay. <laughs> that's just one. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, but, but then another wall is really, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm going to say it's the kind of the demonic forces l- lined up against us that are saying, hey, everything that God has built is wrong. And so if God says, hey, I want men to take, I mean, the, look at even just the very first story of sin in scripture. Yeah. You have the, the, the devil comes and who does he approach? He doesn't approach Adam. He approaches Eve. He kind of doesn't end around, right? But the worst part about this is that if you look at that story and you follow it, you know, the serpent talks to Eve and he convinces her to eat the fruit. And then she eats the fruit and then she turns and gives the fruit. And it says this, this damning line to her husband who was with her, right? That he, Adam, Adam was standing right there. He had been given a job by God, lead your family. And this was his opportunity to stand up and say, this, this is not right. We are going to do God's will. Do not eat that fruit, Eve. This is not right. We know better. And instead he stood there and he said, let's see how this goes. And then when she ate, he said, well, she's doing it. So I'm going to, too, man. First, I, I, I've often said, you know, why does scripture in like Romans five, why does it blame Adam um, right. for sin right. and not Eve? And I think the answer is right there because, it's right there. yeah, you know, when Adam abdicated his duty, uh, I, I think that's the first sin. I mean, we the whole package about, is. And, you know, throwing a catechism turn in, term in here, because I, I, I think that this is going to come up as we talk about the challenge that we have in terms of men, but the idea of sins of omission and the sins of commission. Mm. We focus yeah. on the sins that people commit, the things that we did. You know, what Eve did was wrong, but the sins of omission are the things that we should have done that break we relationship didn't. that we didn't yeah. do, that we knew we needed to step into. And so right there, you have both commission and omission, the sins of, of those two. And I wonder if that isn't a big part of this for men is, I think of the sins of commission that usually in the, in the storyline of our culture today, and, and maybe it's been this way, but the things that we do violence uh, and addictive tendencies within, let's say alcohol, pornography, mm-hmm. things of like that. This is the, this is the painting of men and the sins that we commit. Yeah. But we, we, we don't oftentimes think of this as God did command for us as men, not in a, again, a violent, abusive way to be the head of household. It is in a sacrificial, loving way yeah, no. we are to take that. Yeah. Right. Well, and so, yeah, that, that wall of really the demonic forces lined up against us. And you see that actually, and you just mentioned it. I, I really like that you, you brought that up is pornography. Um, I'm going to throw in video games, fantasy football, and not that uh, on a sin level, pornography and fantasy football are on the same level per se. Yeah, I was going to say we should probably have another <laughs> podcast on that one. We'll have questions, but but the but but there is something that they hold in common, which is that um, all of those things that men tend to get addicted to, or that are replacements for you know, because that's what happens, right? Is a lot of guys end up falling into this habit of I'm just going to rely on all of these things instead. All of those are in a sense 
a twisting, which is every uh, every idol, all idolatry is a twisting of something good. Mm. And so, I mean, video games are really just it's a it's it's the desire we have to live a life of purpose and meaning, to be heroic, to be to to gain you know to kind of do the hero's journey, to gather and gain the power that we need to do the right good thing. That's what video games offered every guy. So yeah. live that fantasy for a while. Um, it's not a bad desire. It's just that when we get hooked into living that through video games and nothing else, then what happens? We don't we don't actually do anything. Same with you know, the fantasy football is about uh, I want to exercise the ability to be strategic, to be thoughtful, to to organize all the pieces and to be successful at something. Mm-hmm. And fantasy football gives me the ability to do so, but without any consequences, other than maybe the 10 bucks I put in the pool in the first place, right? Right. Um, even pornography, as much of a sin as it is to lust after women and to to you know make use of somebody else's image for your own self gratification, it actually starts with something much deeper, which is the desire for. I mean, yes, sexual intimacy, but something I think from talking with a lot of guys who are struggling with porn, it's really a lot of times about one of a maybe two or three things. It's it's about I I, I want to feel masculine. I want to mm. tap into the masculine sexual urge and feel like I'm a real man. Or it's about feeling control. This is something I have control over. It's I, I, I'm able to decide when and how to use this, which of course is a lie because they can't. Right. <laughs> if you're right. addicted, you can't. But um, or it's about the desire that's it's the want to feel desired. Mm-hmm. I want to feel like somebody actually cares about me and cares about my needs for once. Mm-hmm. And so all of it is just a twisting, right? And so that's why I say that's a wall that's aligned against us is because it's it's these other things are thrown in front of us as opportunities to direct our eyes away from the one singular goal of becoming becoming the shepherd God made us to be. And it's 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 twisting our desires. If Satan stood in front of you and said, hey, instead of doing what God wants, I'm going to just give you a total sin to do, you'd be like, no, I'm not that stupid. But right. if Satan comes and says... I'm going to give you something that sounds like it's good, that sounds like it'll actually feel all right. And you just keep doing that. Just keep doing that. We just lose our focus, right? Mm-hmm. But um, the third wall is sadly, this is this is on us because the third wall is the church. Mm. Because of what you said before, which is that, the, that that's the pastor's job. Yeah. The pastor is supposed to pastor my family. And sadly, I think a lot of pastors have said, I don't like, you know, I've, I've, I mean, I've heard pastors say, I don't like that term family shepherds or family pastors. I don't like the idea of dad being the pastor of his home. It, it devalues the pastor's role. And so they're against it because of that, as though somehow their role is threatened by a dad doing his God-given responsibility to disciple his children. And I, I think that's fear. I think it's, it's, it's an irrational, um, just, 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 fear of of not being relevant themselves of having thrown a lot of time and energy and passion and life into being who they are and seeing that in as a you know culturally fading away yeah. i think that they are afraid that they are shooting themselves in the own foot but in their own foot but i really believe that if a dad at home is leading his children his family into the the word on a consistent basis. If a mom is leading her children into the word, if a single guy is is saying every day I'm in the word, then I think that what's going to happen is the spirit is going to drive those people back to church to say, you know what? I mean, that that dad is going to say, I need a shepherd over me yep. to show me what to do. 
Yeah. I need somebody who's guiding me so that I can guide my my family safely. Yeah. Um, and you know, when that dynamic is present, um, I just think it's a beautiful thing. We just had a, a an event recently here at our church uh, where we wanted to gather a bunch of guys together to just have this mutual encouragement to do exactly this thing. Um, we had 90 guys show up. That's amazing. Guys. I I think there are guys who are just hungry to be told you can do this. Uh, They want to be led. Yeah. And we'll help you. You can do this and there is help. We will, we will help you. I'd, so our I, role is to break through those barriers for these guys, right? It's to help them break through those barriers, yeah. all three of those. But one of those, because because we're one of those barriers, we have to start dismantling that one first. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I, I'm a meteorologist and and it's funny because every once in a while we would be talking to a client, um, especially some plowing companies. Uh, and they always had some some guy either who had been around forever or some young guy who knew how to use all the technology. So he knew how to, how to look at all of this stuff, but he wasn't a meteorologist. You know, he didn't have our degree. And sure. uh, and yet the guy within the context of what he was doing, the, the, he, they had systematized. They didn't know that they did this, but they had actually systematized the risk. And so they figured out a way to get around not having the degree and they actually didn't really need us. You know, we, we, we (laughs) added confirmation. So we lost some contracts for that, but I, I, you know, I would say that now as a leader in the church, one of the, the risks that I, I have to watch out for is not trusting my younger, less experienced leaders to, and giving them permission to fail forward and allowing them to actually lead you know, when it's like, well, I wouldn't do it that way. And I have to be really careful about how I might say that because it can come off as, well, uh, Mike said we should do it this way. And then all of a sudden I'm yeah. in trouble. And one of my dreams, honestly, Brandon, with this whole idea of family church is that a pastor, because I, again, um, not throwing our guys under the bus they're but they're human beings as well. And they are laid a charge, you know, basically put your hand on the Bible and hand on the Lutheran confessions and swear that you're going to uphold these. Uh, and you're, of course, at a at a PhD level of thinking, and you're dealing with everybody else who can barely do, you know, basic math spiritually speaking. Mm-hmm. And sure. so you feel a burden, and then you have this the the uh, the scripture that says those who have taken on the role of teaching will be judged more harshly, will be judged mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. So there there is this this the pastors want to make sure that they get it right because they don't want God coming back and saying how could you let them, or at least this is one of the lies that they'll believe. This is how. Satan comes after our pastors. You know, those people screwed that up, right? You know that you should have known that. You know, you should have taught them better, but now look at what they've did. So every person who leaves your church or who is struggling with something, you feel it personally. And so you start to build up this wall of, well, just let me tell you all how to live. Whereas the freedom really comes when the pastor from the pulpit can be giving a sermon and realize that he's speaking to pastors all over the place. Yeah, yeah, they're just yeah. members, but they're actually pastors. They're under shepherds, and he yeah. is under a shepherd. And now yeah. things start to become beautiful. Yeah. Well, and, you know, before we before we started the show here, Mike, you and I were talking a little bit about something else. But I mentioned this this concept that you know when Jesus left his disciples, <laughs> the last words they said to him. Right. were basically false teaching. I mean, he they they said, "Are are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now?" Right. <laughs> they, they had, they still didn't get it. Right. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't say, oh, you know what? I can't leave the church in their hands. 
he just keeps going up to heaven and says, you know, you're going to be okay because I'm going to spend, I'm going to send the spirit. The spirit's going to send the spirit and he's going to take care of this. And so I think pastors have to have that same mentality of, you know, if I, if my fear is by putting this in the hands of a dad and not being the one in charge of it, that then the result will be that that dad might get something wrong and teach that kid the wrong, teach his own kids the wrong thing. You know what? He probably will. Yeah. I mean, but so will you, by the way, pastor, because sometimes you're not going to get it all right either, right? Because the disciples didn't even get it all right. But you you know what you have as a pastor, the same thing the disciples had, which is the same thing that dad in your pew has, which is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And if the Holy Spirit can convince those wayward, mistaken disciples of what's true so that they can teach it, and he can convince you as a wayward, mistaken disciple of what's true so that you can preach it. Then maybe it can, maybe the spirit can also convince those wayward, mistaken disciples in your pews of what's right, so that when they get into scripture with their family, they're pointing them in the right direction. I believe that's possible because the spirit is more powerful mm. than even our own failures and our own mistakes, yeah. our own sins, uh, any of that. He's he's got this. So just you trust the spirit, and you trust the fact that if God has said this is the blueprint. Right. I mean, that's that's yeah. what it comes down to. Right. Deuteronomy six. There is yeah. nothing in Deuteronomy six that implies that the church building is the place where faith happens. It all is in the context of family in the home. Yeah. Uh, Ephesians six, verse four, it's parents who are to train their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I mean, that theme is consistent throughout all of scripture. So yeah, I mean, you've got to trust the spirit that if he said this is the way to do it, then he's gonna take care of making sure it happens right. Um I want to be respectful of our time. We got probably about 10 minutes. I I would like you, um, you know, based on this conversation and some of your experiences over the years doing family ministry, um, how, maybe there's two, two things. Ultimately I want you to be able to give us a few encouragements for men, but I have heard this one and I felt, I I feel this, I, I get it. Um, I have talked to older men, um, whose kids are our, our kids age or older. Mm-hmm. And, um, I love it in our church body, by the way, you know, we have pastors who are pastoring a church, but then we have circuit pastors. Um, and the circuit pastor's job is not to run the pastor's church. He is no. there to help with issues that arise, uh, encouragements that are needed to the pastor within his church context. Um, mm-hmm. But that was like being there's said, an analogy there. Yeah. So we've got, uh, so we actually have in our church body a blueprint. So when my kids get older and they move out of the house or they get married and they start their own family church, I'm actually a circuit pastor. I don't run their family church, hmm. but I'm there to be that for them. Now, that's just some, that's one, an encouragement just for all of you older guys who might be listening or yeah. ladies yeah. who you want to share this with your husband. Um, or even ex-husband who you're hoping would step into father, father and guys be encouraged. But I, I heard this lament that I have messed up enough. I mean, my kids are in counseling mm-hmm. because of me that I just don't think I, you know, I'm not qualified. And mm-hmm. so they step off the field because they're not qualified. And so there's, yeah. there's I'd like you to speak to that dad who right now is feeling like, the reason that the family doesn't work is their fault and they're not a good enough Christian and may never be able to undo the damage that they've done. I'd like you to speak to that guy 
And then I'd yeah. like you to speak uh, to the, you know, to the, uh, it's just some general advice to uh, all of the dads out there who have an opportunity to pass through a household. Sure. I think to that, to that guy who thinks he's, he's messed up. Um, first of all, probably one of the most healing things I ever heard was um, when someone said to me, you know, your parents can love you as best as they can and still leave you wounded. Yeah. And I've, I've been able to flip that around for myself as well. I mean, that was true for me. It was kind of said to me at a point where I was wrestling with some of the wounds that I've, I've had from my own upbringing. Yeah. Uh, my parents were great parents. They loved me. They did their best. They were God fearing. I, I have no, you know, complaints that I'm um, all oh, man. My parents were awful people. No, they weren't. They were great, but it doesn't mean they didn't leave me wounded. Right. Um, and as I processed those wounds, it was realizing that they could still be wonderful people and not, you know, I didn't have to have it one or the other. It could be both. Mm-hmm. And that's for me as a dad helped me to say, man, I, I haven't done this right. There have been a lot of times I've really messed up and there have been days where I've gone to bed going, I regret so much of how this evening went. Yeah. And can I, you know, what do I do when I have that moment? I think I have to go back to Jesus and I have to hang on to the fact that number one, he loves my kids more than I do. Mm-hmm. He's going to do what he needs to do to take care of them. Number two, to realize that just because I messed up today doesn't mean I'm not a, a good dad. Number three, that you know, I could be the best dad and I'm still going to leave my kids wounded. So I, I can't dwell on the mistakes. I have to move past them. Um, I, so I want to say that first of all. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. okay. I was gonna, well, maybe I'll let you, I'll let you finish. I'll, I'll come up in a bit in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other side to that is that if you're thinking, well, you know, what makes me qualified, you know, do, do the mistakes I made leave me in disqualified? And uh, honestly, none of us is fully qualified. We've all screwed up and yeah. we've all made mistakes. If, if being qualified, like if you had to be perfect to be qualified, then Jesus is the only one qualified to shepherd. Yeah. But he didn't leave. He didn't, he didn't, he left it in our hands. He didn't say, Hey, you guys aren't qualified for this. I'm going to keep coming down and doing this. He yeah. left it in our hands. Why would he do that unless he said, I've got a plan. I'm going to take care of this. This is the redeeming power of of grace is that if you as a dad are saying, man, I've screwed up so badly. Imagine what a story it could be for your grandkids to say, grandpa made a lot of mistakes. And and my dad talked about a lot of things that the grandpa did wrong, but, but grandpa, he came back from that Mm -hmm. and, and he took up the mantle. He, he picked up the sword. He, he walked back into the battle. He did what his, what God had called on him to do. And my dad was better for it. My dad looks at that as the power of redemption. And ever since then, man, my dad knows grace and he talks to me about it. And, and my grandpa is such a picture of, of God's power at mm. work. Mm-hmm. Let that be, let that be your story. Don't live in the story of failure. Live in the story of the redeeming power of God's grace and work with the Spirit to move you forward. It's not too late for that. It's never too late for that. As long as you're still breathing, it's not too late. So that that's my answer to the guy who says, I've, I've messed up too much. No, the, the, the Spirit is, is with you. Go and do. Um, as far as advice, you know, what are some steps? Uh, the the thing that I think is funny is that we think it has to be complicated. Right. I think we have to have some 
you know, three-step approach to Bible study or something like that, seven steps to understanding scripture, whatever. Like, and part of that's probably once again, that might be the church because we publish books with titles like that. Right. Um, Right. (laughs) Actually, I mean, I'll, I'll even point the finger at myself. I'm currently teaching a class at my church called 30 days to understanding the Bible, which says, suggests that you need 30 days just to be able to understand the Bible. Um, (laughs) and you don't, um, (laughs) Uh, but uh, it also suggests that, hey, if you're not quite sure how to understand the Bible, you only need 30 days to get there. So, you know, that's only a month. But here, here's the idea. Um, how about this? Dad, just read the Bible with your kids. And and maybe this is even a better idea is, uh, how about this? Just get one story ahead of your kids. So like buy a children's Bible. If you got small kids at home yeah. or, or whatever age your kids are, buy a, a, an age appropriate Bible. If they're young, if they're tiny, get a, a good children's Bible. If they're, um, you know, maybe getting into that kind of early elementary school, maybe get a couple of, there are a couple of different ones. I really like the story Bible. Um, it's published by Concordia. It's fantastic artwork, nice, simplified I language. Say I might, might have yeah, you, you might even have a few. I, I also like the Jesus Storybook Bible um, because it points to Jesus in every story. That's great. Yeah, the Action Storybook Bible is great. Yeah, I mean it's it's a comic book, so it's easy to read. Yeah, the Action Bible. Those are fun because you know. You, so here's the deal, though: is when you're reading them with your kids, Dad, just get one story ahead, right? Because this is the thing. Um, I think we're afraid of our kids asking us questions we don't know the answer to. So what if what if you had read the story before? the night before. And then the next day you read it with your kids and your kids are like, dad, why did David do that? And you're like, I've already read this. I already know the answer to that. And you answer it. They're going to think that you know everything. They're going to be like, dad, you're awesome. You're amazing. How do you know scripture so well? And your secret is you didn't really do much. You just read the story ahead of time. Right. Right. And you just, you just had 24 hours to process and think about it. So you're not thinking on your feet. The worst case scenario, you still don't have an answer. And you say, you know, that's a really good question. But yeah. I know the answers are. They're right here in the Bible. Yep. And you know what? I also know who, who can help us find some answers. Exactly. So why don't we why don't we write that down? And, and this Sunday, let's let's corner pastor after church. Like yeah. let's go up together to pastor and be like, Pastor, we were reading our Bible and and we we had this question. I guarantee you for myself. If if somebody walks up to me at church on Sunday morning and says, Hey, we were reading our Bible this week. <laughs> and we had a question. The first thing I'm doing inside is I'm going, yes, yes. You're right. So glad for you. And then the next thing I'm doing is I'm going, okay, what's your question? I'll see if I can answer it, but I might not even have the answer. Right. Right. And there's nothing more powerful though, to say to your kids, we don't have to have the answers. We just have to know where to look. Yeah. We just have to know that the Bible is the place that has the answers. And we just have to figure that, figure out what they are by doing more searching, like just keep, be, be a scientist. There's a, Mike, maybe you've heard this before, um, that if you like read for one hour a day, every day for seven years in the same subject area, then you will be an international expert on that topic. Yeah. Like, right. I, I, like that's a, that's a, a kind of a metric they've used. It's something like 10,000 hours. I think Malcolm right. Gladwell talks about that 10,000 hours and you will be an expert in a subject. So here's yeah. my, here's my thought. What if you as, as a dad just say, I'm just going to commit to one hour a day of reading the Bible or a book about theology. And I don't, it, it, it doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to be something. It doesn't even have to be reading. Maybe it's watching YouTube. If if, if reading's not your thing, if right. you're not, I'm not a big reader. Okay, watch a YouTube video. Listen right. to a podcast. 
Um, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you listen to podcasts, right? So listen to a podcast exactly. about you, it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and just take some time, and um, you know, give yourself that that space. If your child is, say, your child's four years old right now, well, by the time they're eleven, you could be an expert in scripture. Mm-hmm. And what a gift to give to your eleven-year-old. Your child's fifteen. By the time they have, by the time they've given you grandkids, your grandkids will look at you and say, "Man, Grandpa knows everything about the Bible." Mm-hmm. Right? But but all it takes is just putting in putting in the effort, yeah. and it's not a huge effort. It's just time. It's just time. And what's more important? What could be more important for your family that you would say, "Well, I don't have time for that." Right? And I I know a guy who watches every single football game. Every weekend. Yeah. It's a lot of hours. A lot of he's hours. probably an expert in football. It's yep. a lot of, he's probably an expert in football. And I, I would say that's awesome. But what are your, what are your kids going to thank you for that? You were an expert in football or, you know, yeah. Yeah, so you'll, you'll stories to tell, but yeah. You know, what, what's the story that you want to yeah. kids to be a part yeah. of in the end, in the end, you know, someday it won't matter how many, touchdown passes Jordan love through. Right. Uh, but it's going to matter whether or not your kid is, you know, knows Jesus when they stand face to face with him. Yeah. Uh, this has been great. Um, guys in particular in, and for all the, the women who are listening to this too, just, you know, to encourage our, our husbands, even our dads, our fathers, uh, mine is now in his mid seventies, and I still look at him as the circuit pastor. And in, in when it comes to my mm-hmm. family, and uh, yeah, uh, the two two things I, I just close. I'm so glad that you touched on grace. You know, to to know that every every failure that you have experienced and that you have you have committed against your family, um, it's forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That yeah. is the gospel promise. And I, I honestly think one of the greatest gifts that we can give our kids is the ability to use the ministry of the keys. That's a fancy way for us to be able to say as Christians to confess to our kids in a manner that says, I broke relationship with you by what I said or did, and I am sorry. Uh, to repent yeah. and to give your child an opportunity to forgive you as a parent is a powerful um, reminder of what humility and honor looks like. And the opportunity for them to be able to um, process what it means to forgive somebody, even though they still hurt. I've heard people say, um, mom wasn't, she wasn't the mom that I needed. Dad wasn't the dad that I needed when I was growing up. And um, I understand the pain of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also know that there is no way that they could possibly be because if they were the father that you needed in everything, you would never need the father. And God yeah. allows for these things to remind you that there is only one perfect heavenly father and the best of our parents is simply a reflection of the love of God in a glimpse. But it's just, you know, what what Christ has for us far surpasses that. So know that you've just... got that. I want to just t- follow yeah. up on what you just said and, and just maybe this is a good closing comment. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I appreciate kind of the idea of saying, Hey, you know, dads are, are pastors of their homes, but I actually want to highlight something m- more valuable than the term pastor, which is the word father. Mm. Um, because I don't believe that 
God calls himself father because, well, we know what the word father means, and it's sort of a way to understand him. I believe that he calls men fathers because they are a reflection of what he is. Mm. And so, yeah, shepherd your family, pastor your family, great. But if you're a guy, be a father to your family. Wow. But along with that, and this is to the to the women who might be listening, who say, well, okay, but I don't have a dad. There's, there's no guy in my home. You know, My mm-hmm. kids don't have a father. The thing is that in the New Testament, in Greek, the Greek that the New Testament was written in, every time it speaks to parents in general, um, there is a term, there's a, a usage of the word, the word in Greek that means father, but is it's a tense that means, that sort of has a, a generalization to it that encompasses even like just parents in general. And I don't, I don't want to stretch this too much to say, well, well, moms are fathers too, because that's kind of weird. But the, right, right. that term, as it's used in the Greek, is is really saying what um, what you are to be to your kids. That reflection of your heavenly Father is not restricted just to the dad. So, moms, you can be that reflection too, and you mm-hmm. do so in your own beautiful and unique way. It reflects other, like there are qualities that a dad reflects, qualities of God that a dad reflects, qualities of a mom that yeah, are qualities right, of right. God that a mom reflects. But do that. Be a father to your family. That's beautiful. I think we will end it right there. Okay. Uh-huh. Everybody, this is Brandon Steenbach, uh, Staff Minister of St. Mark in uh, Green Bay and Pier. And uh, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. These are Yeah, our thanks words for having well me. Said. This is fun. Yeah, we, right. will, we will have you on again. But uh, for now, I'm Mike Westendorf. You've been listening to great questions, great conversations. We'll see you again next time.